All right, here we go. Thanks, everyone. Sorry that you have to listen to me instead of listen to our great DJ. So uh, I'll make it quick. Uh, my name is Neil Desai. I'm with the Oracle Corporation and the current Chicago chapter president. I want to thank everyone for joining us today and also thank the Programs Committee for putting this great uh, program together. Um, they'll have some special announcements or special thank yous uh, from our uh, committee chair, Margie Barron. So before we start, I want to uh, start off with a couple thank yous and some announcements. Thank you to all our sponsors, Platinum, Gold, Silver, End User, and Premier End User sponsors. Thank you all for supporting the chapter. A couple quick announcements. Um, the chapter will be having our annual membership appreciation on June 25th at Motorola Mobility Rooftop. This is a member-only event, so please register for the event on the chapter website and become a member if you'd like to attend. Mark your calendars for the third annual Real Awards to be held on November 12th at the Trump Tower. We'll be accepting award submissions starting on July 1st, and you'll also uh, see that on our website uh, shortly. Sorry, Margie. One more. Actually, two more. Also, Cornet Global is bringing the MCR learning courses to the Chicago area in the week of August 10th. They're also having a um, leadership workshop, which the chapter will be subsidizing for our members. So again, a member-only um, event for us to subsidize uh, that, that program. And also, finally, our CRC committee, or Community Reinvestment Committee, will be holding another another great volunteer event on June 27th at the Annexer Center from 1 to 4 p.m., and it'll be playing bingo with their clients. And with that, I'll give it to Margie. Thank you, Neil. What a great way to kick off Memorial Day weekend. Is everyone having fun? Uh, welcome. Thank you, DJ Rock City, for bringing some fun and energy to our luncheon. And before I introduce our moderator, I have a few thank yous for everyone that helped us put together this program. Kelly Ward with Bluebeam for initially bringing this topic to Cornet. Thank you. Mike, our cameraman with Motorola Mobility, if you can wave to everyone. Gordon Hill with Forward Space for arranging the soft seating, which came from Motorola Mobility Space at the Mart. And all of our guests with Mohawk Group, there's about 35 of them here that flew in from all across the states. Thank you. A picture with the DJ afterwards if you want to. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. Finally, I need to thank Steve Monaco with Motorola Mobility. Steve currently leads the Global Real Estate and Workplace Services team. He's seen a lot of change, especially over the last few years. This is his first year on the Cornet board, and when our team wanted to do a program focused on tech, we Im immediately thought of him as a great moderator. Steve is an idea engine, a ser serial storyteller, that's a mouthful, constantly evolving and wanting to try new things. We had a great partnership planning today's program and had a lot of fun doing it, and really wanted to bring you an authentic tech experience. Please welcome to the stage, Steve Monaco. We also have our social media hashtags, Cornet Shy Lunch and CCL Tech, if you want to tweet during the lunch. Thank you. Mm 
Okay, I'm on. Whoa, little down. How's that? Is that good? Well, welcome today. Thanks for everyone um, for joining. Um, yet another great uh, discussion here with Cornet Chicago. Um, today, the topic is tech and tech companies. Um, what makes tech tick? What's important to us? Um, many different uh, people are here today from service providers, furniture uh, suppliers, and collectively, we all have an interest to get to know what makes tech tick. And hopefully today, we're gonna hit a few, few of the, uh, different topics. From big picture, um, where is tech growth in the United States? When it comes to Chicago, why are they coming to Chicago? And then we'll get into the culture, um, the interior design, and what can we learn from tech. And then we're going to turn it over to you, the audience. We're going to uh, have you guys ask us questions, because if we're, if we're standing on stage the entire time, then we're not paying attention to our customers, which is you. And that's one of the, the key ingredients of tech companies, you know, the user experience. So um, starting with this experience, this layout, this is a conversation. It's just um, it, it's a little different than what you've seen before. But it's not different for shock value. It's different because this is the way some companies um, have tech town halls. So a few years ago when we were bought by Google, we had these type of um, gatherings. We, we brought in DJ Rock City. So this is just kind of normal for us. And so hopefully uh, this will become maybe a new normal. Um, so that, that, uh, that being said, we're going to we, we wanted to hear from Chicago. And, and what does Chicago think about tech? And there's a lot of misconceptions, including the word technology. So we think, when you hear the word tech, do you think uh, startup? Do you think computer tech, information tech? But what about biotech and fintech? And actually, the word's been around for quite a while, but it's really you know, the Greek origin. It's the study of a skill or an art to progressively make a process better. So tech has been around forever. So the next, we're going to watch a short video. We're here with Coronet Chicago, hitting the streets of Chicago, asking people what is their tech IQ. I'm here with DJ Rock City. How you doing? And I'm Steve Bonico, and we're about to go find some victims, I mean survey uh, participants. What is the difference between a tech company and a high-tech company? High-tech is more experienced. <laughs> Spelling. Okay. Well, if you think about it, there's no difference. They do the same thing. Well, I don't have it. Okay. A tech company uses basic technology and a high-tech company uses advanced technology. Okay. What city in the U.S. has the highest percentage of job growth no in the idea. tech industry? Okay. Take a guess. Just a guess. Wild guess. San Francisco. Okay, yeah, I don't know that one. Okay. I was still more in California. Okay. All right. What is the oldest tech company in Chicago? In Chicago? No idea, to be okay. honest. Motorola Mobility. Okay. Hmm. Motorola? Okay. Motorola. <laughs> <laughs> what does a tech company office look like? A lot of computers. A lot of computers, a lot of laptops, okay. a lot of desks. Okay. So we're here with Cornet Chicago hitting the streets. We're here at the Bean trying to find out what people think about tech. Here with DJ Rock City. How you doing? And DJ Rock 
Renee? <laughs> How you doing? Yeah, so we're getting down. What part of Chicago do most tech firms have offices? What part of Chicago do most tech firms have offices? Uh, LaSalle Street? Maybe this area? Okay. These are hard questions. Downtown, Loop. Oh, downtown. Okay, downtown. All right. What part of Chicago? North. Okay. Cubs or Sox? Sox. Okay. White Sox. Okay. Cubs. Okay. Of course, Sox. Cubs. Neither. Oh. <laughs> have you ever emailed the CEO of your company? <laughs> uh, I would. Uh, no, I have not. No, but I like to. You would like oh, to. Yeah. Oh, oh. I'm here with Mark Tebby, the professor of entrepreneurship at the Chicago Booth School of Business and recently named chairman of Chicago Next. So I'm here with Mark. We're going to do the speed round, family feud style. Top 10 answers on the board. Ready to go? Ready. All right, we have 20 seconds. It'll be fast. What is a tech company? Company that uses technology or they use this technology to enhance its business or builds technology. What is a high tech company? Just uses higher technology than a technology company. All right. What city in the US had the highest percentage growth, job growth in the tech industry? Uh, Austin, Texas, while Chicago was number three. Okay. Um, at your first job, did you ever email your CEO? No, because email wasn't around in my first job. Ah, very nice. Cubs or Sox? Cubs all the way. Last question, you got three seconds left. What part of Chicago do most tech firms have offices in? River North. All right, let's see how we did. Thank you, DJ Rock City. Thank you. So we've talked to Chicago, we've heard the word on the street, and now we're gonna turn it back to you. So Steve, take it away. So, so one of the components of working in a tech company is we like to have a lot of fun, uh, work really hard, similar to many other companies, not just tech. So today we're going to invite some, um, some panelists to share their views um, to um, kind of tackle some of these questions from all sides. So uh, the first one I'll introduce is Karen Jackson. She's a senior VP of uh, human resources at GoGo. Um, they're in the middle of a move to downtown Chicago, so we're going to learn um, a few interesting viewpoints from Karen. Welcome. Next we have John Hopkins from uh, Interior, uh, um, Interior Architects, sorry. Come on, John. Uh, design director. Uh, he and his firm, uh, similar to many architects in Chicago, have many clients, both tech and non-tech. So we're going to hear some of the similarities and contrasts. Next, we have Sasha Reed, uh, flew all the way in from California to share uh, her views. Um, she's a Bluebeam Blue Software, Vice President of Strategic Alliances. And finally, we have Bill Maliff, Vice President of DTZ. He is the uh, strategic development um, offering all types of services to clients, including facility management and a few others. So we're going to get the insider's view from a service provider. Thanks, Bill. Okay, I think 
We're going to add one new feature for today's discussion. If everyone has a cell phone, please pull out your cell phones. We're going to make this really easy. We're going to have a two-way conversation. We're going to ask a question. So what you need to do is text Chicago Cornet, no spaces, text that word to 22333. You'll get a prompt. And then as we go through these questions, hit A, B, C, D, E, F, or G, and you know, just follow the screen, and you'll see the live response of, of the DNA of this crowd. Right? So we, as, um, one of the things that tech loves, tech loves data. So we, you know, we, we want to know who our customers are here to, uh, today, and hopefully we can uh, curate our answers to, to address this crowd. So, so when you log in, go ahead and um, hit one of those. And we'll see how many of us are from these different uh, sectors. So how about this? While everyone's logging in, we'll, we'll go through the first one. Um, we know that there was a recent report from, uh, I think, CBRE that had mentioned of the top cities with the largest pool of labor in tech. The percent, uh, Chicago was per, uh, three, number three um, in, the, in the highest growth, percentage growth in Chicago. So let's talk about why is Chicago um, sought after as one of the highest growth cities. So Sasha, we'll start with you. Sure, thanks. Um, does everybody hear me okay? Good? Um, well, there's two primary reasons of why we chose Chicago. Uh, the first one is we have a high concentration of customers in the city. So our technology company creates um, document-focused collaboration solutions for architects, engineering, construction, manufacturing. So it was an obvious choice for us wanting to come here because of that fact. But the second was talent, talent acquisition. Um, there's some great theater university schools here that would allow us to hire uh, engineers. And um, being here for a year now, we're finding that a little bit tougher than we originally thought but we've hired other roles that have just literally hit it out of the park for us. So community development, Kelly, who's here today, who's one of our stars, um, from tech support to account management, we've really been able to kind of fill out our roster of employees with some really quality talent that was here in Chicago. Okay, great. So Karen, you guys are in the process of moving into Chicago. And tell us about, you know, what were some of the key ingredients of, of making the move? For those of you that are uh, no go, we are based in Itasca. That's where our headquarters are. Um, and we've been there for about six years. And if you know where Itasca is, it's kind of northwest by Schaumburg. Not super, super hard to get to, but also not that easy to get to. And we um, have found it very hard to recruit talent who's willing to kind of do that commute to Itasca. So for us, moving into the city is really about being able to attract a larger pool of talent from all across the Chicago metropolitan area um, that today we find isn't always interested in doing a commute to Itasca. Okay, great, thanks. Um, next question, what are some misconceptions of a tech firm? So I'll start with you, John. Yeah, um, misconceptions. Um, I think uh, if we all think about uh, tech firms back uh, 10 years or so, and think of all the play spaces that we started seeing, foosball, and, and these crazy things that from our perspectives in this room 
Like, what are they doing? It's a bunch of kids that we've now put into corporate America, and this is how they're taking over. But I think uh, if we now can look back a little bit, the idea of these are brand new companies. They did not have any kind of culture. They're individuals from many places. And these gathering spaces, whether it was, was play or, or food or, or, or places to rest, allowed them to build a culture very quickly, uh, spend more time together, and other benefits as well. But I think the, the building of culture is a pretty, pretty significant one. Great. Um, Karen, we'll go back to you. What is a misconception of, they're like, oh, go, go, you guys are, you know, um, we, we use you in the air, right? Yeah, well, so. it's interesting. I mean, I might harken back a little bit to my previous experience. So prior to GoGo, I was with um, a company called the Cutie Group that was um, purchased by Accenture Interactive. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we used to laugh about is that everyone thought that we were just a bunch of kids riding around on scooters all the time. Um, and having parties on Fridays. Um, and while there was some of that going on, um, it wasn't you know, the bulk of the, the professional work experience, right? Folks are um, very committed to their job, and while um, we're certainly looking for ways in which to have fun during the workday, and, and work and life certainly start blending much more together, um, you know, I would say it's not a bunch of crazy folks who are not committed to, to the, what they're doing and, and why they're they're there, um, and I, you know, I would say the same thing applies um, in the GoGo environment, um, where we've got a wide variety of people we're bringing together. Folks from a telecom background, from an aviation background, more from an internet background, um, and folks are very used to different things. Um, and so, while there's, um, you know, certainly a lot of um, fun things going on in, in the workplace. Um, we are, you know, blending a, a culture of folks from all different ages and backgrounds who have very different ways of wanting to work. So we're trying to accommodate a wide variety of needs. Okay. Kalina, can you hit the next one? We have a few more poll questions. Ah, so we love the data. How many people here are, are, are members of Cornet? A or B? So live data, that's, um, that's important to everyone. Um, while we're, we're doing that poll, again, we're in the data gathering phase. Um, Sasha, what would be a misconception of, from your experience with tech firms? We have loads and loads and loads of money to burn. Mm, yeah, <laughs> get it now while, it's, while they have it. And that may be true for some tech companies, but um, for Bluebeam specifically, that was not the case. Um, our CEO is, uh, has actually a financial background, economics, so he's very thoughtful in how, he, how we spend the money. And when we looked at making our first really big leap into Class A commercial space, it was a, a long process of thinking through that. And what we ended up doing was, um, we used our interior space to help further the brand of the company because we primarily work with architects, engineering, construction. Our interior space had to reflect that we understood that world. So we couldn't do, no offense to IKEA, but we couldn't do IKEA desks and knockoff chairs. Mm. Um, so we use IKEA a lot. No offense. Yeah. Yeah. It has its place in the world. Yeah. But for, for us, that would have created a dissonance when our customers came to visit our space. They would have said, you say you're, we're the center of your universe, yet 
your interiors doesn't reflect that. Um, but because we're budget conscious, we went with a sole source um, provider. Mm. So we went to Herman Miller and we approached them about what we're looking for. We went up to their design yard. We met with their interior um, executives to talk about collaborative space. And because we went with a single source manufacturer for the majority, we were able to get really good contract pricing. Yeah. So we bought well-designed commercial furniture, but we did it in a smart and thoughtful way. So I would say that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions. Okay. Let's sit to the next poll question. I think we're, we're one or two behind, so. So how many people here work for a tech company based on the, the new definition of technology? Still going. Okay, so mostly no. So as we continue to, to talk, um, I'm going to ask everyone to think of their questions now. We're going to reserve enough time at the end to hear from you guys and um, what questions can we ask. So it looks like the majority is a no. It's, uh, one more. Next poll. I gave that one away. We are number three. So hit C, please, and we'll, we'll, we'll cheat. Trying to get to the next, uh, to tee up the next question. All right. So, Kalina, just kind of try to catch up. I want to keep this conversation going. Um, what can we learn from tech companies? There are many things that, that we all do, whether you're in, in tech or not, whether you're a startup or not. And for, for us, Motorola five years ago, um, we split into two. About nine months later, we were purchased by Google. And when you get purchased by Google, you get really an insider's look of, of, of how they get business done. And there's a few key things um, that, we, that, I, that we learned from, from Google. Again, we were both tech companies. One was 83 years old, and the other one was maybe 10. And, 10 years old, um, and one was don't be fussy. Don't be fussy with the details. There's so much formality um, in business these days, and when you get rid of the formality, and if everyone's shooting to solve a problem, just don't be fussy about that stuff. And it includes, um, for anyone who makes those cord holders behind your desk, you, can, you don't need those. I apologize for those who make them, but you know, don't be fussy with messiness. Yeah, or, or who spec them. So let's go. At, let's disagree. Yeah, it's okay to disagree. You know, we, we like disagreement. So, um, what? So since you stepped right up, what can we learn? What can we learn from tech companies? Um, I, I, to follow what you're saying, I think this idea of letting it go, that we really, uh, a lot of us have been doing this a long time, and if we think of our normal process and trying to apply our normal process to tech companies, which are very collaborative, very flat hierarchy. There's a different approach that they take internally. So how do we start to adapt our approach to, to them so it's really servicing them as needed? Mm. Uh, so the, the collaboration of people. Um, but I think you also start to think about uh, the, the things you're providing. You just mentioned how you were Motorola, then Google, then Lenovo. You happen to stay in your same space, but what if you got bought and we're moving constantly? So we're providing you architecture that's to last a long time. The, the carpet companies are making carpet that'll last 30 years, but your company might exist for five. Right. The furniture is gonna stay in there for, for a long, long time, but you may need to move it 10 times. And 
So how can we adapt to the flexibility and fluidity of, of um, tech companies? Okay. Karen, what can we, yeah. Um, I think collaboration is really key to um, tech companies um, and the way our folks work. And we have, so we are moving into our space in June. Um, and one of the things we added was um, kind of collaboration spaces throughout the floors so that if folks are talking about something and they happen to be sitting at their desk and they just want to pop in somewhere and use a whiteboard, we've got a collaboration space that's a bit more comfortable and everything, all the walls are whiteboard. Um, so there's no need to go book a conference room and schedule a formal meeting. You're just kind of having a discussion. Something comes up as you're naturally working and you need a place to go kind of quickly, maybe diagram something or, or work through a problem in a different way. And so that is a big piece of the new space that we have. Um, we also have all of our conference rooms with furniture on wheels so that you can easily kind of move things around and set the space up in whatever way you need it to. And um, we follow a Scrum um, Agile methodology. So we have a lot of uh, Scrum rooms and um, areas where folks can work where there is actually no seats. There's places to lean, um, but there's no place to sit um, with the intention that folks are very focused for a short period of time working through whatever their list of items are. Um, and then they go back. You said work. Scrum. Does everyone know what Scrum is? No. no? Majority just shouted out. Can you describe Scrum? It's a, it's a project management approach for software developers. It is. is yeah, you're going to test the HR gal on yeah. <laughs> the Scrum methodology. But um, so yeah, so it's part of the Agile methodology, I believe, and it's just a different way of working where you're kind of doing sprints and looking at um, shorter bursts of work as opposed to what has traditionally maybe been more of the waterfall approach where you're doing all the um, definition of what you're trying to build and then move to design and then move to build. So we're just chunking out the work in much smaller pieces so that you don't get to the end um, and realize that maybe there was something um, that you missed. You would ideally find those things much faster and much sooner, but as a part of that working effort, um, part of the philosophy is to not get bogged down in meetings where you're just sitting and talking about things for mm -hmm. a really long time, but to uh, work more kind of quickly and, and use the meetings in a different way um, to kind of quickly move to decision. Yeah, we, we have a full-time scrum master, they call it. We have a few scrum masters in Motorola. Um, and I think that is going to hit the rest of the industries a, a different way, a quicker way of approaching PM. Similar years ago, Motorola came up with a Six Sigma, right? And that was quality. And now there's black belts and like Six Sigma management of other, right? So I think this, this is probably, you know, the Scrum approach will, will kind of leap past just technology. So thanks. Bill, so your firm, similar to many others, you have a team and you place them inside of companies, some of tech companies. And I, so you guys have a front row seat trying to, to, to carry the torch, to blend in. What are things that, we, that, that you guys have learned? Well, I think, I think uh, my experience with tech companies is, as we talked about a little bit, is, is certainly the retention of talent, the, the looking to uh, bring people on, bring employees on, and, and keep them. And so service providers then have to kind of change their methodology from what they do in that space for the retention of those employees. So we talk a lot about issues like sustainability, we talk about ergonomics of the of the the workspace. We talk about the amenities that you're offering to those employees, and that's so that we have to, as a service provider, often have to pivot to match up what that culture is 
going forward. So that's what we've seen a lot, and we work with a lot of clients to uh, provide those amenities, but they're always changing. You're always trying to stay one step ahead. Um, so there, it's a good balance for the service providers because technology firms keep us on our, on our toes as well as far as what we bring to the tech firms, but then what do we uh, bring out to the marketplace going forward after that. Hmm. So. so, John, the design build process, tech companies, they do it similar. Everyone wants it done yesterday. Anything um, is, is startup designing space for a startup different than maybe a ma more mature tech company or a legal firm? Uh, I would, uh, I don't think we can categorize it so quickly. So mm -hmm. there's, there's, as Bill was saying, it's starting to embed into other, into the businesses. So uh, we have, we have some startup companies where we're um, doing things very quickly. They need to be in space in two weeks. So how can we find furniture and how can the realtor find that space that quickly? It's from Magianos, it's all set up Right, here. set up here. So the idea of co-working spaces. Um, mm -hmm. Also that buildings are starting to uh, do spec office suites. We've got a couple of clients where we're building out a number of different types of spec office spaces. It doesn't allow that startup to brand the environment, but at this point in their development, right. maybe the aesthetics of the space aren't as important as just get us a space get to start tests, to work. Right. Um, you mentioned design build. We have a fairly established a, um, internet user uh, company that is doing design build where we are under the contractor. There's a lot of complications mm. to that, but the reasons are they're in a market and they needed to get the GC on board to get all the subs on board to meet their schedule. So the approach of letting it go I mentioned earlier, things are different, so we need to, we need to be fluid and allow these different relationships to. Yeah, so I'm hearing speed, I'm hearing flexibility. Sasha, anything you'd add? What can we learn from the great tech startups? <laughs> Yeah, I would say that I do think it's different depending on the phase of which that company's in. So um, I talked about IKEA earlier, but I should, full disclosure, we used IKEA doors as desk work surfaces oh, in the beginning, back in the garage. Um, but as we matured as a company and as we started to hit critical mass and started to grow, our needs, space needs changed and um, we made uh, those leaps with choosing the right partners, so choosing the right uh, contract furniture dealership, the right interior design architect. Um, and we partnered for what we knew we didn't want to waste our mental energy on and knew that that's their space. So for us, it was finding the firms that kind of matched our philosophy that we approach our business with, but they do it within their realm. So mm. finding that right partner was extremely important for us to make those leaps. Well, and by adding, you know, we make a device, right, five inches on diagonal, and you can't believe the number of departments and meetings that go into the, the user experience of a phone. And so, so my takeaway and how it relates to everyone in this room is when you think about the user experience, is it, a, is it easy, is it fluid, does it work? There's the foundation of being functional of what we do, but then it's the, is it meaningful? Are we having meaningful experiences? So if you're out trying to service or get business from tech, you know, we all are about the user experience. It's center first, it's customer first. And so that was a big light bulb that went on a few years ago. Still on, so that's good. Um, all right, next question. Um, if non-tech firms try to design an office space like a hip tech firm, do you think that we're trying to, if, if, you, if you apply these aesthetics, you'll get the culture. If you apply these amenities, you'll, you'll attract this top talent. 
Now that's kind of a, a loaded question, but are we seeing that, John? Are you seeing that with some non-tech tenants trying to aesthetically Absolutely. just match? and? Yeah, technology is in getting embedded into all sorts of companies. You mentioned FinTech and and the other biotech. Te biotech. Yeah. So, so we've got clients that are, they, their core business is not that, but, but maybe a third of their employees are from the tech industry. And so they're, if we're pulling from, if the company is pulling from other uh, companies for those employees, those environments they're used to, they want them. And then the accountants and the, the tax group and the other sales teams are starting to realize there's value for them as well. So mm. there's this flowing in. Um, of those of those functions. Karen, thing, yeah. Yeah, the other thing I would add is, I mean, people are people at the end of the day, and there's not many people who would choose to go to work and sit in a big, tall, brown cube, right, where it's dark and dingy. Um, so it doesn't matter if you're an engineer or somebody with a more of a technical background or if, you know, you're the salesperson or our receptionist. Um, I think folks want to be in an environment where um, they can be themselves and um, where... If you want to sit down and talk to someone, you don't always have to book a conference room and have it be this big formal thing. And so I do completely understand why some of the things that are happening in tech are bleeding out into other industries. Um, and I think it's it's just because people would prefer a more kind of comfortable environment over maybe something that's more formal. And obviously, maybe depending on the industry or company, you can't have that. But um, but it makes sense that that's happening. Yeah, I think with there's many articles that we all see come across our computers with all these pictures of cool tech spaces, but um, what we learn is it's it's the stories, it's the people, it's the quirkiness that comes out. You know, why is there a bull in the corner, and why are you know these weird things? Because it's there are all these um, personal stories that come out, and so I think when you try to apply that and try to apply culture, it um, it doesn't stick. So. Can I give an example? Yes, please. Way back when, in 19, late 1990s, I worked on a Motorola project. Oh, was how about that? In Champaign. Oh, very nice. And our first meeting, we went into a room of about a dozen people. There was a guy in overalls, and I had no idea what have I I've just traveled through the farm. So I thought, oh, they've got a friend in from a farmer friend. Sure. But, but he actually was one of the leaders of this group. And that idea of you can be yourself in an office environment was, was pretty radical for me to experience, and I think also at that time. Now we probably know colleagues that go in flip-flops and shorts and hoodies yeah, and that kind of thing, but back then it was quite, quite, uh, quite an approach. But that idea of how they were um, establishing their culture, the things that mattered to them, there was a, and, and things that they bring to it. We were establishing a solution for under a, a large stair and suggested some sort of sculpture or, or water feature. And one of the users said, hey, I just went to Japan and I love those um, sand gardens, the Zen gardens. So is there a way to bring us a Zen garden? So we organized in a way, he, he ordered off, I probably wasn't online at that time, but ordered a, a traditional rake from Japan and then building their culture, they would have events every Friday where they would, you can imagine these individuals bringing toys in, bringing uh, arrange, arrange um, people in there to, uh, to, to construct little things in the sand. So it became this Friday theme, this party yeah. event. We have one of those. And it's people bringing themselves into the space. So, so why we understand that in design. And it was meaningful. 
very right, so it's finding yeah. meaningful. So if you're making a pitch, have come up with. yeah. So if you're so, making a pitch to yeah. a tech company, you get to know them and why. Mm -hmm. yeah. Get to know them very well. Bill, I think that um, you know I do a lot of site tours, obviously, and that they, you know, there's always that one room in the corporate headquarters that's got a, you know, teal color with a ping pong table in it, right? Mm. And everybody says, "Look, we're we're progressive, right? <laughs> we have a ping pong table." And so I guess the short answer may be no. You know, you're not going to become uh, as, as cool as a technology company by putting a ping pong table in. But I think there's been a, a resurgence in, in how people work, which I think is, is, is cross-utilization. Cross I mean, uh, the sales teams work differently. The way they have their desks, the way they have their chairs, than the accounting team and the HR team. So I think there's been a big push towards uh, space design and how the people work in those in those areas, which is good for the whole uh, environment. But you know, culturally, you know, I think you're you're still behind if you just got a ping pong table or a, a yeah. little bumper pool table somewhere in your lobby. It doesn't work. So you know, it's really used when there's no ping pong balls to be found because people steal them. Real users at our place, they steal the ping pongs so that when they come to play, there's one there. That's how you know it's a true, truly being used. They bring their own. So. Um, so let's talk about culture. Um, the culture of a space, if that's reflective of, of the people. Um, Sasha, what about you? Does your space reflect the internal customer, the employees, or, or external? Because you know, I think a lot of companies making the transition from traditional to trying to be hip and cool, Motorola went through this. We didn't know, like we, we thought we needed permission to have fun, to have the ping pong table. Um, and, and we really cared about bringing in the Verizons and we had to look a certain way. Um, that is, we're, we're changing that, but can you share, you know, who's your customer and how does it relate to your space versus ping pong tables in your lobby? Yeah, so we're probably one of the few tech companies that doesn't have um, foosball tables or scooters, razors that people are kind of running around. Um, but for us, our culture is really strong and it, for the internal, um, for the employee, um, it was important for them to kind of experience and interact with the space. Um, even, it sounds silly, but even having really good, well-designed commercial furniture. Uh, Herman Miller is also a customer. Steelcase is a customer. Hayworth is a customer. So um, it was important for us to have an in internal space that reflected some of the people that use our software, as well the way that the space was built out. So the entire team that we used to build the space, except for one, MEP contractor, we're all customers. And we did that, and the company knew that, and we did it very transparently so that our employees would understand that our software was used to design the own space that you'll be working in. And we thoughtfully thought about their needs and kind of the way what Bill was talking about how they each work um, so that the furniture was is kind of enabling the work that they do. But we didn't let them run the ship. We also had creative approach to how we wanted to kind of agitate things so that they would be forced to interact, collaborate, and have site mm -hmm. eye lines, so no high walls and that sort of thing, keeping um, the internal space really designed to show them um, there's thought that goes into how you interact with the space you work within. But is there a balance between, so you're very customer focused, what about the employee focus? Do, do they have a wall to express themselves? <laughs> One wall, is there anything? <laughs> Yeah, so there are many places where the employees can express themselves from um, the Death Star Lego. Um, Peter 
has this giant Death Star. His wife would not let him keep it at the house, but mm. we let him keep it in oh, the office, nice which is nice great. Um, we don't have one of those yet. <laughs> so the, from the Lego to um, I sit with product management. I don't sit in an office. I sit in, in the space with, the, with uh, product management. And um, they're addicted to Cheez-Its. There's an entire Cheez-Its wall. Mm. Every box that they taste, rate, gets its own display case. So it's kind of funny when I'm bringing third-party technology companies into the space to explain the Cheez-It wall. And I, we always get really weird looks. But I'm proud of the Cheez-It wall because it's, it's there. They've defined it. We don't stop them from the defining uh, the space the way they want. Um, so there's no foosball tables, but we do have two bars. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, let's, uh, HR point of view. Yeah. When, you know, the fear is they go too far, right? Oh, that's inappropriate. Um, you're building out your space. Anything... For the employees, is there a brag wall? Is there, what are you doing for, in, you know, building the culture? Yeah, so we're including a brag wall. We've got a whole quarter of a floor that's just an employee lounge that's going to be all about um, the employees and, and kind of what makes them feel comfortable. And there's a, a bar area. There will be some games in there. We'll have a rooftop deck. Um, and so we are providing a space for employees to just kind of be themselves and, and do what they want to do and also bringing that into the broader space. I think, you know, where we have to find the balance is that um, our customer base, um, while many of you might know us as providing connectivity and internet service to planes, the real customer for us is um, the airline. And there are a ton of regulations um, that we have to meet in order to put our equipment on a plane. And as a passenger, I'm very happy about that. Um, but it is something that when we think about our space and bringing our clients in, they have to have a level of confidence that, um, that they can trust what we're doing and the quality is there. Um, and so, you know, having too much of a free-for-all feel um, kind of goes counter to what we're trying to um, uh, present to our clients. But certainly we don't want the regulatory environment to stifle the environment that we provide for our, our employees. So it's it's very much a balance of how do we marry those two together. Good. So Bill, following up with you, again, you're you're placing uh, your team inside of a inside of a client's um, uh, facility. Any culture clash, you know, do they or do they hip enough? Do they do they get it? Do they drink the Kool-Aid quick enough? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll keep the name nameless, you know, but uh, it does start with the management team a lot of, of matching up with the culture. I had a, a client who uh, we were promoting our account manager for that client, and this uh, they said, if you bring me a dinosaur, you can forget about it. Mm. Those were her words. Uh, she said she wanted someone who was right out of school or similar out of school and had new ideas and new and, and new concepts and a, and a, a go get them attitude. So, I mean, um, they can tell you what their culture is and you can follow it. But yeah, I mean, I think the putting the right team in place with those, matching up those cultures, matching up that, what the, what's important to that client, uh, with the people that the service providers put in front of them is, 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 is difficult, but necessary. Mm. Um, it's a, a continuous challenge for us to, uh, find those people and, and, and have them integrate with those with those team members. Great. Yeah, I, I agree. We have two people in the real estate department and a very large uh, service provider network globally, and we are constantly trying to erase those lines. And it's it, it's from informal to formal get-togethers and training, um, or else there's going to be that separation. Because again, like many of us, our our employees is you know they're the customers. So um, 
Okay, great, thanks. Last question, and then we're gonna turn it over to the audience. How will technology influence the future of workplace? So not only the apps, um, maybe mostly the apps, I mean technology in general, what's coming up, what are we hearing about that five years from now is gonna change? I think about some companies want everyone to get into the office and others are allowing technology to work from home, work from Starbucks, and so there's these two different worlds happening and how can technology perhaps bring us back together? John, have you seen anything? Any patents you're holding uh, out on us? I think I've got uh, two ideas. Let me see if I can formulate them. You can't well. steal my idea, by the way. Go ahead. You got it. It's yours. Um, this idea of, of sharing that's come out of, I think, technology. So from my perspective as mm. a designer, what is, what is technology doing to us as people? So the idea of Airbnb, of Zipcar, of co-working spaces, we're starting to, even though we get more and more into our computers, more of a sharing of a culture, of, of, of the level of humanity. So is there some approach to that that's gonna change the way we're all working? Not just tech companies, but all of us, this idea of sharing. So is my desk the thing that I need big walls around? You mentioned the tall cubes. You know, people are more comfortable now without uh, for those of us that live in a home and have a fence, are we going to start to take our fence down and have shared backyards? That's a fairly European approach, but you know, can that start to move our approach to uh, to our lives, to our workplace? Right. That's my. It's good. Sasha. I I think the the one thing about technology that um, is really interesting is how it relates to the human element. So especially in technology, collaboration is key. If we do not allow or create spaces for the employees to collaborate effectively, it will affect the product, the end product. So one of the things that I find technology is really doing is it's enabling people to connect. And um, the amount of apps and, and different um, solutions that our employees use to work on projects and to share information um, is boggling. I mean, there's so many different apps out there. So I think with the technology itself, it's enabling information sharing, collaboration at new levels. Um, the space and the technology space, um, especially for you know those who are working on interiors, they have to keep that in mind as they look to innovate. And there needs to be a pivot within that uh, within that market in order to really kind of capitalize on how technology is changing the way that people relate to each other and share information. And if they're able to understand and kind of harness the value of that and integrate it within to the built environment, I think there we haven't even scratched the surface of how that's going to change. Okay. Karen? Yeah. Um, I guess the thing I would add is um, when I think about um, and maybe this is kind of a generational difference, but it certainly feels like work and life blend a lot more, right? And it's hard to see where the line is, and sometimes there isn't a line. Um, and you touched on it with flexible work arrangements, and is there really this kind of defined work day anymore? And I think um, technology is important in helping um, to connect people in a collaborative environment where everyone is maybe working on a slightly different schedule or isn't physically in the same space but still needs to collaborate and work together. And um, I think that's where technology will play a key part in keeping people still kind of driving towards the same goal but kind of working in a way that works for them on an individual level. Are we going to have video conferencing on the plane? 
Oh, um, good. Um, <laughs> Asking the go-go I, person. Yeah, I don't know that I can comment on that. <laughs> I, I don't want that. I don't. I hope the answer is no. No, I think that'd be good. <laughs> what about you, Bill? Um, I, I agree. I mean, it, you know, most of us, uh, unfortunately, the first thing we do when we wake up in the morning is we check our phone, and the last thing we do before we go to bed, we check our phone. And the workday, the nine-to-five workday, is is uh, non-existent anymore. So. I think anything that allows us to be uh, continue to be on mobile, to be on the, on the on the move at any given time, be able to access uh, Office 365, you know, uh, sharing files anywhere, anytime is going to be a big push. But I mean, I think that's really going to be you know anything that allows us to to be more free, mo you know, on a plane, in your car, at a Starbucks, where we can uh, share share information is going to be uh, mm. the future, I believe. Yeah, I see video, you know, we're going from, as far as content, video is, is becoming more and more prominent. Mm -hmm. And you start, I, I, I start to see the signs where Google is laying fiber in certain cities. They're preparing for um, bigger pipes to, to have this data go through. And, and then um, there's other companies developing virtual reality and augmented reality. So the people who work from home versus the people come in the office, I see maybe in five years, hopefully sooner, where the people at home are, are doing a virtual glass and they're and they're in the you know they're sitting here amongst us, and then on this side in the real world, perhaps we have augmented reality of the people who are at home, and so not only the work from home come in the office, but for global companies, you know that could be the future. Okay. Um, I mean, we'll still need architects, of course, and and everyone else. But but John, I mean, how do people design spaces right now? Is it, you know, the three, everything's drawn in 3D already? The actual Majority? design Yeah, the process. design of blueprints and. Uh, it, it goes three-dimensionally much sooner than it does in the past, than it has yeah. in the past. Yeah. So similar to a game, you know, when we did our construction of Merchandise Mart, the, the, the GC Skinner came in and they're in the background, so shout out. Um, they, they put up, they, they scanned all of our space to know where all the nooks and crannies are of the building and then, mm -hmm. The HVAC guys, they designed it, so we, we built in 3D. And so if you take that, you turn it over and you render it, you know, perhaps the, you know, that, that could be the future of the workplace. Absolutely. You, just, you know, everyone you has live, their own avatar, and we'll have avatars right. hashing it out mm -hmm. over mm -hmm. negotiations and stuff, so. Okay, so, um, and, you know, that's our side of the discussion. And so we're going to walk around the few microphones and, if you are trying to pitch to a technology company, you're working with one, and you just don't understand um, what the opportunity is, this is your chance to ask some questions. So um, who's got the mics? I've got we got one here. Hello? So there we go. Just, uh, just raise your hand. If not, we're going to start picking on people. Unless there's anything from the, um, do we have pre, any pre-questions that were submitted? Is that on? Um, I think, um, what do you all feel about your own spaces and, you know, I'm seeing when I go visit all these new tech spaces, I'm sorry, it's like the dot-com boom and bust, they all look the same. And I'm starting to feel like your spaces all look the same. And so, how do you really feel you differentiate yourself from, you know, a hoolie on Silicon Valley? I mean, how, how do you do that? <laughs> 
Karen, you want to? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's what you put in the space, right? It's like your house. Um, people can have a house that looks very similar, but what's in it is what makes it you. Um, and I think it's no different in the work environment. And so while a lot of it will look the same and it's kind of set up the same, it goes back to the cheese it wall and the brag wall and the feds who have pictures of cats everywhere, which I will never understand. And it's all that stuff that is what will differentiate and um, drive culture and make a space feel like it's your own as a company, so. Yeah, if, you know, so for our space, when we first moved in, there are many white walls, gray walls, and that was done intentionally because we wanted a canvas to put our own stories. You know, someone mentioned a brag wall earlier. You know, these are pins up, pins up of, of, of a sales target or a new build for engineers. But um, I think the pendulum, I think you're right. We're all trying to mimic each other, the copycat syndrome. But I think the next wave is the self-correction is the maybe the do-it-yourself, um, the employee-owned spaces. And, and that, that healthy blend, there'll always be that backbone, I think, that we'll all gravitate to. But, I mean, again, it could be generational, too. But I think, hopefully, that um, we'll start to individualize our space. And, and I, think it, I think it goes to the culture of the company. So um, there is that, I know, and I can visualize it right now, that tech look when you walk into a space. Uh, but for us, it was, it was really driven by the culture. We, we chose um, a, a, actually we got it, we found it right here at the Furniture Mart in Chicago, uh, a torn down barn from Indiana. And we took all that reclaimed wood and we brought that wood in so that when you walk out of our elevator, um, we, we, didn't want the, we didn't want you to see marble. We didn't want you to feel like you were walking into a commercial space. So we took reclaimed barn wood and we put it up on the walls. Um, we did you know, hardwood floors. And uh, we really wanted the space from the moment you open, the elevators open, that you were experiencing something different. You were walking into someplace different. So we took a lot of our cues from hospitality, high-end hospitality, wineries, and we wanted that feel really to be present within the space so that the minute you get out of the elevator, you already feel like you're experiencing something very different. The light fixtures, everything. So for us, it was really driven by the culture of our company and kind mm -hmm. of the, the built space reflecting that culture. It's important, very important. And even the location, I think, the building you chose was important, correct? Yes, yes, very much so. Um, and uh, we looked a long time, a lot of buildings. <laughs> and we struggled with actually moving into a Class A building because we thought that that was going to change us, and we really didn't want to be changed. But, you know, we worked closely with JLL. Oh, my gosh, our poor brokers, we put them to work to find the right space for us, and we were relentless in that, um, even fighting our own board to move into a cheaper market outside of Pasadena. But the legacy for Pasadena is very much important because we were started as a spin-out of JPL NASA, a spin-out of a spin-out. So with Caltech and JPL being there, that was all really very much important for us. Great question, thanks. Bill, did you have something? No, I was just gonna add that uh, we have a tech client that uh, you know, one of the things, they're moving to a hoteling space, and but the problem with hoteling space is usually it's one size fits all. So it goes, you know, 50 cubes that are all the same size. So our client in, in Texas is actually putting in all the furniture, allowing the chairs and the tables to be raised and lowered so that the individual comes in periodically who's maybe not a full-time employee uh, or not full-time employees, full-time uh, working in that office has the ability to control how they work from a positioning and the ergonomics of their, of their, of their equipment. I had a question. When does a company 
when does a company see that culture change with the furniture, well, with that merits the furniture change or introduction of a new space? So the question is, when does a company see that? Yes. See that change with furniture, like, like yeah, we changed today from from yeah. from white round tablecloths to this furniture. Yeah. I think it takes a leader. It, it takes a relationship with many of the certain types of people in this room. It, it's, it's part of the copycat syndrome. You know, if you see it, you want it. Um, I think furniture plays a major part because it, without it, it's just blank walls and some beautiful Mohawk carpeting. But, uh, <laughs> plug that one. But, yeah, furniture hopefully continues to change and evolve. And I think flexibility was mentioned uh, a little bit earlier. And I think... Um, what I'd like yeah. to see with, with furniture is, is a continued evolution to allow user change. You mentioned that different departments work differently. Well, I may work differently than the person next to me. So why should we all have the same setup of furniture? Um, Sit-stand is becoming more popular, but other aspects of, of furniture should be more user-friendly. We don't have to call in uh, an installer to rearrange something for us, but that the furniture has the flexibility. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the words we're hearing a lot today is disruptive, disruptive technology. When it comes to furniture, I think, you know, there's a firm in 1871 that's trying to disrupt uh, the furniture design process a little bit. Um, unbranded designs, um, I have no stake in them. But, you know, we worked with them. We were looking for new companies, and they went to crowdsourcing. So globally, people can become, whether they're frustrated designers or, or they have true talent, they submit their, their furniture designs. And then the community promotes them, they vote it up, and then they, it gets manufactured in Chicago. And so they're starting to hit the commercial market because as a tenant, we, we bought, I think, 15 pieces. Um, one, to support local startups, but two, they're unique designs from all over the world. And I think that do-it-yourself, that custom, um, like I have this, and this is from someone in Sweden who is a farmer, right? The farmer made this table. And I think that's the evolution of furniture where um, it's choice. If we have choice and if there's a story, right, that attracted me that there's a story behind this table I bought from some guy in Sweden. So, Question over there. Um, how do you guys handle, oh, sorry, um, like evolution and adaptation? So over time, you know, you move into an office, it's this really amazing progressive space, and then it's like, Four or five years later, everything's starting to be a little bit worn and tired, but it's not like you're going to redesign from the ground up every couple years. How is that? Uh, how do you guys tackle that? Well, we've only been in for about a year and a half, so <laughs> Karen's just yeah, moving in. We're uh, just moving in, but I will say, I mean, previously we had moved in um, to a space in 2010, and they're going through a complete overhaul of the space again. So I think. I think you will see companies open to that. I think it's just a balance of the financials, right, and then and, um, how much you're spending each time you're doing it. But I, I mean, you're right. When you see the scuffs on the walls and everything's not as fresh as it was, it's, um, it's easy to start looking across the fence and saying, oh, that would be better. Um, so I think companies will need to start factoring that in to how they design space and maybe the, the cost and investment they're making. Mm -hmm. And with that investment, is, is there furniture and other things that you're specifying and purchasing that is of this value and 
going to last 30 years, or is it an IKEA-like thing where it, it has a life of three to four years? Because the employees would like that change. They'd like that variety. So other things you're doing in this space was graphics and paint. You know, can you, can you purposely put into the, the design an idea of, of change and evolution? That that's part of the idea originally. So I'm going to change my answer. So as a global company, <laughs> you have lease expirations, right? So every couple of years, somewhere in the world, your space is coming up. And that's really an opportunity for us. Lessons learned that we did in, um, in California, we did in the Merchandise Mart. You know, we're building a new space in Beijing. And lessons learned from what we did here in Chicago, we're doing it a little bit different, a little bit better with a local spin. So when you think of it on a global basis, um, you, again, you have to consider the local team and the environment, but lessons learned. I think the days of a playbook where it's the same thing globally, I think those are over. Um, and you still need a backbone of like what's your approach. You know, do you have open, do you have closed? But you know, when you think of a, of a portfolio, then I, think that, then I think that answers your question, hopefully. Anyone else? Any brand? How, how do you incorporate corporate branding and messaging in the office of the future? Anyone well, want I'll to tell you what one? we're doing. Um, we have a ton of glass everywhere, um, and it looks amazing, but the first thing that everyone says when they walk into the space on the tour is, oh my god, I'm like in a cage at the zoo, and everyone can see everything I'm doing. So we are leveraging our branding and messaging to do um, in some ways, I'd call it artwork, I guess, but we're, we're leveraging branding to um, do some designs on the glass so that it's visible and everywhere. Um, and we're going to extend that to values um, and uh, put that all in the space on the glass um, and then as well as kind of on the walls and things. So that's how we're incorporating it. And we've used our colors. Um, now I'm going to get this wrong, but either blue or red indicates a... Um, like a cafeteria or a coffee station, and the other is like a print center. And so we've tried to use our colors to indicate, and part of that is because our building is the entire block of um, canal between Randolph and Washington. Um, and so it's easy to get kind of lost. So that's how we're incorporating branding, is to give people markers, I guess. John, what are you seeing? Um, yeah, our approach would be, and we've done in a few clients where we know certain things will change and you'll want it to change. So can we set up a series of, of aspects? So there's permanent things that are there for the life of the lease. There's other things that we say will have a 10 to 15 year lifespan. Other things maybe have a six month. So there's a program set up. So every six months there's certain messaging that's changing and then it's done in an inexpensive way and easy to take in and out by a user versus uh, bringing a design team and installers back. So if you can categorize it in certain ways, and there's always freshness, but then there's the permanent things that are the quality that stay. And I think that the built environment really is a big part of branding for, especially for tech companies. And Google made primary colors very popular, unfortunately. You're always popular. Um, uh, to kind of be that cookie cutter tech look, but I, I really do see with other in Pasadena and Chicago, these markets have a lot of tech companies coming in. And I really do see that the interior space, um, the design of the interior space really is a big part of that branding, how they differentiate themselves. Because for us as tech companies, talent acquisition is probably our number one struggle, challenge. 
and target. So we have to have a strong corporate culture that's that's translated through the built environment in order to set ourselves apart, in order to differentiate for that talent that we're trying to acquire. So I think you're going to see more differentiation, less cookie cutter in the interiors as a big way of that uh, corporate branding in the future. So we have a branding war um, historically. Maybe it's my personal war, but there's the branding police. I call them the branding police. Everything is to be branded with your products and your, you know, it's very customer focused. And after a while, you know, the employees are, are screaming back, you know, what about our space? What about what matters to us? So when we, when we became Google, it was like freedom. And we just went nuts. And there was no branding whatsoever. So uh, six months ago now, we're Lenovo. And, and I think the MP is back. Um, it's all branded again, very, very corporate-y. So I think that challenge back and forth is, is a good blend for branding. Um, but in the future, it costs a lot of money to constantly rebrand these things. So um, I'm inspired as we go through airports, and you'll see a lot of projection walls. Again, there's a lot of projectors that are collecting dust right now because everyone has monitors. So to project an image on a, on a white wall, you know, that's branding you can change out over and over again. And so I think that that's one of the solutions we're seeing personally. So. Question. Speaking of interiors, it um, seems like the trend that I'm seeing is um, on the floors, it's a lot of just sealed concrete. Um, is that a trend you guys think that will continue? And what's the reasoning behind that? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, concrete as a floor material? Well, it, it helps with the scooters, so the scooters move through the space. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> There, there's a significant concern about acoustics when you have that. So a lot of tech companies are wanting a more raw environment. There's a level of, of activity of sound you want, but then there's times you need to focus and do coding. So how do you balance uh, quiet spaces with the more loud spaces that you purposely want loud? So aesthetically, I wonder about the concrete just as it's, it's different. Change is good, I think, for a lot of tech companies are just saying, Let's just change for the sake of it, and maybe that's the, the approach. It's not always the cheapest thing, because there's oftentimes buildings where you need to put a new concrete piece on, and you spend as much as something else. Yeah, we have concrete hallways. And um, right outside Mike's studio, we're going to have to lay down carpeting, because all the clicking of shoes are disrupting his, his video shoots. So mm -hmm. it's, um, it, it, it always comes down to, does it work for the space? Yeah, now that, and I've been in our space twice, but I'm actually thinking now that you've said concrete, that we have concrete running from one end of the floor to the other, and we call it the runway, and it very much fits with the branding mm. and <laughs> what we're doing. So I think that was very purposeful, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. But then there's definitely carpet in other spaces. Um, whether or not every company kind of puts that level of thought to it, I don't know. But Yeah, if you think of restaurants, you go in and they're loud. There's, there's a purposefulness to that because there's a sense of energy. So what parts of an office environment do you want to replicate that sense of energy? Promote the concrete, but in other places you want to do the opposite. We just add some spray carpeting. I don't know if you invented that yet, but <laughs> it'd be cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll talk later. All right. Bad news for the, well, bad news for the panelists. I lied. There's another question. Oh. I was just curious, uh, given the uh, collective moves and the architects on the panel, are there any things going, go, any things going on right now as it relates to technology, uh, 
physical standpoint that might caution, um, especially in the urban environments, that maybe certain buildings of certain vintage or shape could, you know, truly become obsolete? In other words, can you, can the fibers get into the building? Can the redundant power necessity, is that going to cause, you know, again, a Chicago uh, standpoint, there's some 40, 50 million square feet of, you know, really functionally obsolete space. So I, I think in suburban build a suit environments, it's, it's a no-brainer. But, I mean, what about old buildings in big cities? We're in, the, we're in the Wrigley building, so um, I think what they've done with that building is phenomenal. The team that they hired um, to restore the building, and you know, Kelly and I were just talking about this. We look out our office building, and there's all these restorations going on that our software is being used by the project teams restoring these buildings. And so um, there's so much history to the built environment and the architecture here in Chicago that it would be a shame for those buildings not to be able to play a part in this, this kind of movement. And so we're finding that there are buildings being retrofitted and what the, the team did, the design team and the construction team did with the Wrigley building was just phenomenal. So for us as a tech company, all of our tech needs are met. Um, and the building is just so freaking cool. And that's that, that narrow part, portion of the building overlooking the river where, uh, or the backside where we have our bar it's iconic, and Kelly has these community development events all the time there with our user groups that we're just launching here in Chicago. And so our space would not be what it is if it wasn't for the great architecture of that building. So I, I think there's, this a, there's a retrofitting um, uh, process that's happening and occurring, and I think that's going to continue to happen. I work in uh, 104 South Michigan, the Monroe Building. So that sense of history that you get, it's been also completely refurbished and, and improved for the future. But the, I love the contrast of that building was almost built by hand, and now today we are, you know, it's, it's such a contrast. It's fantastic. Okay. Okay, I think that is it. Everybody give a round of applause for our panelists. Thank you, guys. That was very interesting. Uh, please join us next month, uh, June, for... Uh, a program on uh, well-building standards should be very interesting, and please fill out your surveys. Thank you. <laughs>